I had mentioned to our folks on Wednesday to pray for me, um, first cousin that had passed away um, and was asked to do the funeral. And it's like my family is probably like yours, and you get to see cousins and nieces and nephews or whatever that you hadn't seen since the last funeral. And uh, now that we're getting older, um, We've, we've called the funeral home and asked me if we could get a bulk rate on caskets and just sort of stack them up. I'm kidding, but Bill was my was the first first cousin. My mom, my mom's family. There's nine brothers and sisters in my mom's family. Twenty two first cousins, and we don't have enough time to talk about second cousins. It just exploded after that. Some of them took replenished the earth personally and attempted to do that themselves but like I said Bill was the oldest um, I'm 62 Bill was 90 uh, tells you the span and I'm not even the youngest first cousin my my first cousin Chris is 58 so from 58 to 90 is the span of first cousins I'm saying all that to say that we all come from the same heritage. My, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was considered um, an evangelist. There wasn't anybody that moved into that part of Moore County that he wasn't on their doorstep witnessing to them. He witnessed to everybody and everything. Raised his family to do that. And out of that family came preachers and missionaries that we're thankful for, but Bill had that same advantage as the rest of us. And um, Bill moved to Greensboro not long after serving in the Army. Didn't show up much for family reunions. Um, the older I get, the less I like them. Um, but didn't. He married a lady that had one son, and he had five or six kids. So the grandkids were there from Bill were there they had never been to family reunion for the Phillipses first time we'd met some of them but I, I asked I asked Bill's brother Steve and his sister Beck did Bill know the Lord and said he made profession of faith right here in this church and I said that wasn't my question right my question was, does Bill know the Lord? Can't answer the question. So I asked the family if I could preach from his Bible. Well, it took them two days to find it. And they brought it to me. And some people some people like this. Okay, this doesn't tell me that Bill's lost or saved, but not a mark in it. Other than the cover, it was, of course, a Schofield Reference Bible. Other than the cover having some dents and dings about it, no page had a single mark on it. How do you preach that? Well, you preach that he, like us, had a heritage. But that heritage won't save you. Only hope in Christ will save you. It was interesting, before I got to the pulpit, Bill's sister, Beck, came to me. That's what we call her. Her name's Rebecca, but everybody called her Beck. 
Beck is in her 80s. She came up to me, put her finger in my chest and said, you preach the gospel. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Not like I wasn't going to, but thank you for the encouragement. Beck's son, Philip, who's more my age. I'm, I'm, I'm closer in age to my second cousins than I am my first ones, obviously. Philip comes up to me and he said, you preach the gospel. I can do that. Some weren't happy at the end of the service. <laughs> That's okay. I only had one audience that I was interested yes. in. But it made me ask the question, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If I... If the Lord tarries and the Lord keeps me here, and by the way, those verses that you read weren't for the purpose of telling you I'm about to die, or Paul's about to die. That was Peter about to die. But is there is there enough that we could open your scriptures and see that you were a student of the Word? Um, and again, I know some of you had a man up in at Beacon that he thought it was sacrilegious to write in the Bible. That's fine. Okay. Um, Obviously, I didn't get that message. Um, I mark it up. I, I'm, I'm that slow. I need, I need to make sure I'm reading it correctly. And I ask questions out in the flyleaf. Why? What? What are you talking about? Um, is, is there enough evidence? Is there much testimony among your relatives that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Humbling question, isn't it? Here in our text, in Colossians chapter 3, where we find ourselves closing in on the verse 17, is the priorities of the new man. This new man in contrast to the old. In verse 5, we remember this old man and his old ways. And we put to death in verse 5, Colossians 3 verse 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry on account of these, the wrath of God is, is coming. It's interesting to note that how many of those that list, sexual immorality obviously is outward, impurity can be outward, but once you get to passions and evil desires and covetousness, it's inward. It is attitudes of my heart and life. It goes along with the old man of the lust of his flesh and the pride of life, doesn't it? That we find in 1 John. But as we mentioned, we, we like our old flesh. I mean, I've spent 62 years getting it like I want it. Melody spent 40 making me what she wants. Okay, It's just molding. Honey, if I die, you go married? No, I don't have another 40 years to get the guy right. You know, it's just he's got to be like this. But, but we are comfortable in our own flesh. At conversion, we get a new self. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And we begin this process of sanctification that was talked about in Ephesians 4. 
If we look back at verses 5 through 10, we see put to death and put them all away and put off and then verse 10, put on. It's the war that we fight. It's a war that we fight every day against the old self. In fact, turn back with me. I want you to hold this place in Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a little bit more of this today. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that the old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. You need to underline that. Dead to sin and alive to God. There's our comparison. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal flesh, in verse 12, or your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Is it possible to obey or to allow sin to reign in your mortal flesh? That's the question. Well, obviously it is. He would not make the statement if he wouldn't, right? It makes no sense if that's not possible. And that's where we are, isn't it? Sin does reign. Is reigning. We hide the sins of our flesh. We allow them, as I, if I can use my illustration from last week, the closet that we keep these things in, that it, it's hidden from people's view, but we, we know that they're, they're there. We allow them to stay in the closet. We hate them when they come out, but we're not willing to eradicate them. We don't like them, but if we're not careful, we nurture them. We refuse to go to war every day with them. That could look like it was in my life, harboring grudge or bitterness or anger or wrath or it could be something that's destroying your life and and I realize listen what I deal with is probably maybe it is it's maybe different completely different from what you're dealing with hold that place and turn to James chapter 1 we we forget what sin does and how it reacts in our lives. And in James 1, James gives us this pattern that we have beginning in verse 13. James 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But notice verse 14, But each man is tempted when he is lured and enticed. How? By his own desires closet guy that's him and they're you could put up beside this their designer lust Jim Burke called them that's a good that's a good way to say them what appeals to you what you got in your closet is going to be different than what I've got in mine in fact I, I may and you may abhor what's in my closet you, in fact if you that was in your closet you could, I'd have victory every day over that I mentioned my niece to you who had it was anorexic. No appeal whatsoever. 
Gluttony, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Anorexia, not. But she did. That ruined her life. She came back from a mission trip to Belize and collapsed. Her hair was like straw. The monthly cycles, gone. Her body was literally shutting down. Something had to be done. Doctors came and said, something's got to be done. She's going to kill herself. And she was, she was a beanpole. And beautiful. We ended up getting her counseling. And we went for the big guns. Martha Peace. If you've ever read The Excellent Wife, you met her. She takes no prisoners. In fact, she... Inter she brought Alyssa in and said, I need to see your parents. She went out, parents came in, and she ripped their heads off and spit down their necks. Some of this is on you. Yes, yes. Alyssa would tell you that the world would say that she has low self-esteem. She would tell you today that's not true. Right. It's the exact opposite. Yes. I told God that I, need, I deserve to look like this until I got to the point to bow the knee and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And again, if you were to see her, you'd go, what in the world is she talking about? She's beautiful. She went to war with it. They called her at Bob Jones, the fox guarding the hen house. She was a nutrition major. Taught fat was bad. So when you got Fox Drive, she's double fight going on. She got victory over it. She bowed the knee that God is completely sovereign over her life. Jump ahead 20 plus years. And Alyssa and Dan have a little boy. He's now a teenager. He has a type of epilepsy that doesn't even have a name to it. It's numbers and letters. I've looked it up. SP something. They only know about 112 cases in the world. He goes to school, but he has to be... Remember those jumpy seats that you used to put the kids in so they could walk around, had wheels on the bottom and they could jump up and down and put food around them? He has to be an adult size of that because he averages 100 um, seizures a day. Some are simply blank stares and some are full, small seizures. I asked Alyssa, how do you do that? She said, because I won the battle one day over that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he is too. Yes. It's her story. We fail sometimes in our battle against sin to see it. Let me pick up our reading in verse 13. Let everyone be tempted. I am tempted of God, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away. Verse 14. Let me go back up to verse 13. Let no one say, verse James 1, James 1 is tempted. I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one, but each man is tempted 
person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own flesh. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the pattern. But the, the thing is, though, we, that, that sin, that thing that ends up being sin, is it's conceived many times if we don't get it out. If we don't eradicate it from ourselves, then it continues. That's the cycle. And we let it out, and it entices us again, and it gives birth to sin again, and in some ways it brings forth spiritual death sometimes in the sense of you don't feel like you're a believer anymore. You struggle and you start having questions about this. is the main question that you deal with. People that are dealing with sin often come up, the first question out of their mouth is, I feel like I'm not saved. Why do you feel that way? Well, it's here. Yeah. It's in this place. Sometimes it can bring forth literal death. Ask the people at Corinth who made a mockery of the Lord's table. Yes. Folks, until we see it says sin at its first thought, not the first action. Again, Colossians 3 5, evil desires. It's evil desires. It is an unforgiving spirit. And when sin reveals, it brings forth anger and wrath and malice these evil desires inwardly. I realize that some sins are so embedded in us that it seems impossible to get them out. But the Bible says that we're dead to sin. It no longer reigns in us. Therefore, these evil desires give way to actions and we fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, I told you to hold your place in Romans chapter 6. Go back there with me, please. Romans 6. And I won't read all of this starting in verse 15. I'll leave it for you to read, but bound in verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He's comparing. We were obedient slaves at once to disobedience and of those things. Now we've been set free. Now we've become slaves of righteousness. At the end of verse 19, as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Verse 20, and when you were Slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time for the things in which you are now ashamed? The end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and is in the eternal life. Where the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to jump over to verse chapter 7. Look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. How many of us say amen right there? Right? That's us. Yeah, that's our struggle. And I don't mean to make light of your struggle. Whatever it is, that's the truth. The Bible's recognizing that's true. Verse 20, But now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I do it, but the sin that dwells within me. 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my, in my inner being. You, listen, you, you want to do right? You love the Word? You, you want to see the Lord magnified, but you're struggling. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, present tense. And here's our plea. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's the battle that you're going to have for your life. Back to our Colossians text. He has mentioned here several times the word set. In verse... Um, Set our mind. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 3. So then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. There we go. The word set means the basic orientation, the bent or thought, the patterns of the mind, rather than to the mind or to the intellect itself. This is a person's will as well as his reasoning. What are you setting your mind on? The words used back in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. You can follow there with me if you like or you just want to listen. Ephesians, Philippians 2 and verse 5. It's the same word used here. Have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. That's it. It's also used in... Philippians 2, verse 2, Complete my joy, being on the same mind, having the same love, being a full of, of one mind. Having the same mind. It's used in Philippians 3 and verse 15, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it unto you. And then of course here in Colossians 3 and verse 2. So then, we go to war. We may, well, here's the question. Will I ever get it out, Pastor? Will this ever be completely eradicated? Will it ever be something that I don't deal with? Maybe. It's possible. Possible you're going to carry this fight for the rest of your life. But it no longer has power over you, according to the Scriptures unless you back, let it back in. So we go to war. What's my, what's my resources? I mean, I can't do it on my own. We've tried, haven't we? Some of you have tried hard. You want it out. Sort of like Domer sitting underneath the bucket. Think, 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 yeah. think, think, think. Think if you put under your head under a bucket long enough and think, 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 that that's, that's going to eradicate it. No, it's not. It's going to take more than that. And he tells us here in Colossians 3, what does, what does this? And let, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule 
in your hearts to which you indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There it is. That's our weapons. The peace of God, peace of Christ, umpires my heart. The peace meaning one of two things, or maybe both. Peace meaning the peace that I have with Christ because of the covenant. In other words, am I acting consistent with my standing with the Lord? Who am I? I belong to Christ. Am I imitating Him? That's what Ephesians says. Imitate God, therefore. Am I acting, acting in accordance with my new nature? Am I acting in accordance with my, my, my new, the new reigner in my life? Am I acting consistent with who I am? But secondly, am I acting inconsistent with the peace that I do have? This is the emotional side. The, the peace that passes all understanding. You could put it that way. You ever gotten to the end of the day and knew you'd blown it that day? Hmm. Or, you, I've used this illustration, or you say something to your spouse and you see the pain immediately go over their face and you realize you just hurt the one you love the most. And yet at that point you go, oh man, do you have peace? No, I've got anything but peace. Right. right? Have you ever got to the end of the day and go, man, Lord, today was, day was perfect. I did everything right. I mean, it was great. The reason it was was nobody's home. You didn't interact with anybody. You stayed in bed all day. Right? And you can still lose your peace, right? But it's, it's the opposite of this peace. This is the blessings of knowing peace. This is the peace that passes understanding. This is the peace that God gives. Am I acting in accordance? Is that umpiring in my life? Number two that the Word of Christ, the Word, God's Word, dwells, resides in, at home in. It's not a visitor or a guest, but a resident of my heart. It lives in me. You cut me, I believe Bible. That's it. But you know, let's, let's use that illustration though of the house and, and not being a guest. You know, there's a, there's, if, if somebody's going to come live with you, there's that awkward time right at the first, right? You got to get to know them a little bit, right? And, and, and that, that takes some, Melody's mom's going to come live with us in sometime. March. I love her to death. But there's always that little time at the front end of we've got to get used to each other again. And, and it doesn't take long. And when I say doesn't take long, like 10 minutes long. Okay. But you know if you have a guest that comes, there's, there's that area of time that you're, you're getting to know them. That's it with the Scriptures, isn't it? And I'm afraid sometimes in evangelical circles, we, somebody makes a profession of faith and we give them a King James Bible and tell them to choke on it. They have no clue where to begin and where to end. Instead of discipling them, so there's this, there's this element. This may be even how we approach our devotions in the morning. There's a little bit of, and a lot of times that deals with how we 
lost the peace and we really don't want to sit before the Lord because we know he's going to bring us to task about these things. But it's, it's that period of time to get to know them. Secondly, that you're comfortable with them. Are you comfortable with the Scripture? That whatever it says? You know when you get comfortable with somebody, they could say or do anything. Once mom comes, she usually gets up before I do. She turns every light on in the house. I'll walk out, it's like a UFO's landed. She can't see. Okay. So I have to go behind her because I, I can see and I need darkness because I love darkness rather than light at that point. But I need it. And of course the coffee maker's going, all right? We're making pot after pot after pot. Okay. But we got to get comfortable with each other. And we do. Once, once the comfort happens, she makes the coffee. She learns to turn the lights off after she's made the coffee. There's a comfort that goes there. Do you have that with the Word? You can't wait to get in the Word because you're, you're comfortable with it? It's your friend. It resides in you. It's, and then there's trusting. Trusting. You trust them. I mean, I, would you leave your mom at the house by herself? Yeah, but I don't know that I some visitor coming live with me. I, I don't know. Especially if my daughter's there. Am I going to trust them? Okay. Do you trust this book? You trust that he's, he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. We quoted it in First Peter. He's given us everything we need in life and godliness. Are you, are you trusting in that? That he's, he's answered every question that he wants you to have the answer to. I didn't say every question you had. Every answer to the questions that he wants you to have. He's given you everything you need. Do you trust it? Do you learn it? it. This word dwells with me. Resides with me. It's at home with me. It reminds me according to 1 Corinthians 6 I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm not I don't set the agenda for my life. God does. I belong to Him. This visitor has free access to all of my house. All parts. As D.L. Moody used to tell the story about a, a guy who wanted to surrender everything he had to the Lord and in his dream or imagination or whatever is the Lord Jesus comes to his house and knocks on the door. The guy answers and the Lord Jesus said, you know what, I've I got a need for a house just like this one. Come on in. And of course he's i got a room in the back that's mine and i got a closet in the back that's mine. And each time the Lord goes to those particular things and he ends up with this little box and he said, Lord, you can have all the house, all the closet, all the contents, everything, but this one little box is, you know, it's my, it's my personal stuff. And he said, the Lord takes that little thing out of his hand and said, you know what, I have a need for a box just like this. Mm. Does he have free access? All parts of your life None of it's off limits to him. You're his. You'll do whatever he tells you to do. You'll go wherever he calls you to go. You'll correct anything he tells you to correct. But again, truth be known, we like our sins and our attitudes and our passions and our evil desires 
And we can hide them very well, can't we? But not only dwelling there, it's with the next word is richly, fully, overflowing, jam full. It means in this application where we ended last time was that we read it and we study it and we live it. Or as MacArthur said, we heed it, we hide it, and we hold it forth. We read the Scriptures for transformation to be more like Christ than we do for information. Well, that's where we left off. All that's introduction. I've got 15 minutes, all right? Because I want to be finished here a little early. What does it do? What happens when the Word of Christ is residing in you to the point of overflowing. What happens? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Three participles that he gives us here are the consequences of the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Teaching. Well, that's positive. In other words, it's not just in my life, but I'm able to teach others. I'm able to input in others. I'm able to teach. That's the positive. What does the Word of God say? And as, as a believer, we're not on an island by ourselves. We exist in a community of people, and we want to be that in their lives. And so when we see somebody stumbling, see somebody struggling, maybe with the same sins that we used to st struggle with, we're able to go and help instruct them. We're able to teach them. Why? Because the Word of Christ is dwelling in me. It's residing in me. You cut me, I believe Bible. You ask me a question, I'm going to refer you to the Scriptures, not what the world wants you to say. Mark and I were talking for the service. He was asking if we had gotten down to verse 18 yet. Nope. <laughs> we will. But you know, you know what? This is where this is where even in evangelical circles, that's changed. The woke community and the woke ideas have filtered themselves into the church. And you tell people, wives, you're to be submissive to your husband. I ain't doing that. And so we got women leading the homes and guys so browbeat by their wives they don't know what they are anymore. Is that still true? What are we gonna do with that text? Yeah, this is where it is. So we start teaching. We start admonishing. That's the negative side. We'll point out, hey man, can I, can I come alongside you? Your attitude right there was, mm-mm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Or, man, you just, you just talked about your wife being the old lady at home and you, you think that's what you need to call her? Is that scripturally what you need to call her? That's the admonishing side. That's loving somebody enough to correct them. And we do it, though, with all wisdom. You've got to know when to speak and when not to speak because you might get a fat lip if you're not careful, right? You've got, you got to pick your battles, but you also got to pick your time. You've learned this in your home. You've learned this with your kids. Sometimes the, the best time to teach them, the best time to admonish them is not during the conflict. You might need to... In all wisdom, I need to let that settle down. I need to stop being mad. I need to go outside and chop a tree down or something, get this anger out of me, and I can come in, I can talk, I can talk, I can start teaching with all wisdom, I can start admonishing with all wisdom. It's teaching people. 
But you know what? We're not walking biblical encyclopedias. What do you mean by that? We're just not spouting off facts. We're willing to come alongside people that are struggling and help them in their struggles. You know what this means? It means you're going to get your hands dirty. Somebody's in the ditch. You might have to get down there with them and get some mud on you to get them out. It may mean that you care so much that you've got to deal with all of the manure that comes out of it and to take care of people. And all this teaching and admonishing and warning with all wisdom, it produces something too. Look at it. Produces singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This Christians ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We know how it ends. Right? We know how it ends. Pastor, are you concerned about the election? Yes, as a as a as a citizen of the United States, yes. As a Christian, no. Why? Because he's still on the throne and he's yeah. working all things according to the counsel of his will. Yeah. And he's he holds the, the, the heart and the decisions of every king on the earth in the palm of his hands and he turns them wherever he wishes and he's accomplishing things I don't know anything about. Who am I to give him any advice? Right. I trust him. So I can sing. I, I can sing all creatures of my God and King. Yeah. I'm one of those. I know my Maker. I know my Savior. I can sing. I'm, I'm happy. <coughs> pastor friend of mine in Knoxville, Sam Paulson, pastors West Park, I think it's called West Park Baptist Church. It's a massive church now, but the time that he got there wasn't. But his wife Susan came down with MS. Pretty bad, time they found it. Went to see a neurologist or whoever, and the neurologist comes out and said, I need to talk to you about your wife. I said, okay. He said, I think she's got mental problems. Why? She's in there singing. That's what he said. What do you mean she's in there singing? She's singing praise God from whom all blessings flow. She's lost her mind. No, she hasn't. Yeah, she's fully capable of her mind. She's in full, full, full use of her mind. She's singing. She knows something that you don't know. Folks, we've got something to sing about, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there a difference here? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, are, are they different? Maybe. Maybe. I don't want to press this too far. Psalms seems to be uh, talking more of singing the Psalms, the Old Testament Psalter, the books of the Psalms. Most of those were sung by the early church. Singing scripture, if you want to put it that way. Hymns are expressions of praise to God. Here's the interesting thing is many passages in scripture were used as hymns in the early church. If you look back at Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20, they tell us that was a, that was a hymn that the Old Testament first century church sang. Philippians 2 verses 6 to 11 is another one of those. 
It's expression. If you look at that text, it's all about Christ. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven. What a better, what a great hymn to say. Okay? All about God. That's it. And spiritual songs. Probably songs more like personal testimonies. We find one of those, you don't have to turn here, but in, in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open it, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's a spiritual song. That's what God's done for you. Yeah. Now, if you'll notice, most of the time, we try our best to do this, our opening hymns are never about you. Right. They're about God. Now sometimes they're mixed in the verses. We can't always do it that way. But our focus is we want to praise God. We, I, I've had some, okay, who, who do we start with? Who's the, who's the emphasis in, in, in your mind? Is it man or is it God? That's always God. I, I want you to see God in who He is first. Not who man is. I want you to know who God is. And we worship Him. And the only way we can worship Him is through Jesus Christ as our Lord. Right? These spiritual, these are, these are personal testimonies of the Lord. So, informational, yes. Emotional, yes. Informational teaching with, and admonishing with all wisdom. Emotional, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But lastly, it's also thankful. Yeah. With thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Thanksgiving there is with grace or with gratitude of thanksgiving. It's singing with the beauty of Christ. Inward grace coming to the outside in my singing. It's singing as an expression of God's inward grace. Not cold. Not lifeless. Not without meaning. It's not to entertain or impress somebody. But we're singing about the grace that God has put in my heart and my audience is God Himself. Yes. Singing with grace, a reference to God's actual grace which he's, he's disposed upon us. Taking that grace in my heart, pulling it into an expression in my heart. Not, not out love, but a heart that's, that agrees with the mouth. In other words, say, well... Oh, does that mean we're supposed to be singing loud? Because it seems like we're supposed to be singing in our hearts. Well, it doesn't exclude the mouth, but the mouth is singing what's in here. When I was in Florida for treatment, just scrambling in my, in my own heart to capture what the Lord was teaching me. I, I turned, I like uh, Sovereign Grace music, a lot of mm. what's written. Others, old hymns like this. But I found, and I would play them, I, I bought, because I got tired of hearing ladies talk about all their ailments in the, in the room. <laughs> and all the cycles they were missing, and I figured this is not for me. And so I did. I bought me a, a set of Bose noise-canceling headphones. Praise God for them. So I, I put those on. 
But, but listen, I played songs that I couldn't sing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there yet. But I played them and I played them and I played them until I could sing them. I wanted, I did not want to sing with my mouth what I knew was not in my heart. You're lying. Yes. I want to sing what's in my heart. God, I want you to transform my heart. I, I want to trust you. I want to bow to your sovereignty. Lord, help me do that. And it's Godward. The purpose of music is to minister to the Lord. We're singing to Him. We're just bystanders. So, what's left? Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him living a life for the glory of God. It's not the first time Paul has said it. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. To put on this new life is to put on Christ. It's scope. Whatever I do or say, whatever. It's under the authority. It's under the authority and approval of Christ to do all. He alone is the head. He alone is the ultimate judge. I do it unto His name. Unto the name of Christ. All that He is and all that He does. We ask as those who bear His name. And again, we do it with thankfulness in our hearts that God, the Father, that He has a unique that that He has this unique privilege and responsibility that I have this unique responsibility and privilege to live for Him. Remember, we're just sinners, and all that I received is not deserved. Yes. I was listening to an old man preach. I'm talking about he's in his 90s. I think I shared it with Jennifer and maybe Daryl on sermon. This guy talks about people accepting Christ. He said, that's, that's not the right question. The biggest thing is, did Christ accept you? Yes. Well, he has in Christ. And I'm reminded every day I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And there's nothing in me. The older I get, there's nothing in me. You may think, you may think in the early days, boy, boy, God, you, you, you got a prize here with me, and that's, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm first team here, and you find out you ain't on the field yet, and still in my old flesh, nothing good dwells, but in here Christ reigns. I live for Him. I live to the praise and honor. I do everything. Whatever I do in word or deed, I do everything in honor of the name of Jesus Christ. Dr. Guy King, who was a great expositor of the Word in England, was speaking at a children's meeting. He was walking along the beach of the south coast of England 
He says this, I was approaching, I, as I was approaching the beach, a little boy was going and coming to, and he, he caught sight of me, and he said, Mommy, here comes the Jesus man. Mm. Dr. King says, what right had I to be called the Jesus man? What degree of resemblance is there about us, I thought. Another man gives a story in a book that he wrote called The Passing of the Third Floor. Kind of interesting this goes on. This is a tale. It's a story of a poor class lodging house in England where there lived a, a hideous group of company of seedy and needy people, he says. And where there was a, there was a poor ignorant servant girl and this poor ignorant servant girl sold her body and her virtue for worthless trinkets available to people in the streets and otherwise. Into this place one day came a stranger who at once seemed very different and who was assigned to live on the third floor back. He was kind. He was gentle. He was patient. He also was loving. And he always spoke so sweetly to this little girl. And treated her never with rudeness as everyone else did. But soon be, she soon began to worship him. And the other folks began to owe him much and began to love him very much because of his continual kindness to them and the continual sympathy and always wanting to do something for them. But the time passed and at, the last, at last the day came when this man had to move away. The little maid watched him as he walked with his little piece of luggage to the door and as he turned to her with a, with a loving smile and a gentle pat on her shoulder she said please sir are you him? it's a fair question this writer says for a Christian isn't it? please sir are you him? I don't want to get to the day of your funeral and wonder yeah. but is he rolling in rain is the peace of peace of Christ umpiring your heart is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly and are you living a life to the glory and the praise and the honor of Jesus Christ and him alone do you look like him are you him Father, we thank you for a text that's hard to get our mind during. Easy to read. But Lord, where the peace of Christ rules and umpires me. It corrects me. It reminds me of who I am and what I've received from you. And the Word of Christ dwelling in me, richly residing in, at home in, overflowing in me. And, and I'm teaching and admonishing others. Father, I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. I'm singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord with great thankfulness. And Father, the passion of my life is to do everything to the praise and honor of my King. Well, that's how we do battle with this old thing in us. It's how we put to death these things that are earthly in us. We put on the new man. 
we magnify the new man in Christ and take the weapons that you have given us Father that we live to the praise and honor of your name Father I pray that we look like you do we Father thank you again for your your blessings in Christ's name we pray Amen